welcome to another episode of Precious Snowflakes. Today is Wednesday, June 21st, 2017. We are your hosts. I'm Lelius Rose. And I'm Ben Phelps. And today we are going to talk about, I don't know, was it a slow news week? Is there anything to talk about or <laughs> did anything uh, happen? On this, which is by the way, the 12th episode, uh, we will be discussing uh, Otto Warmbier in North Korea and Philando Castile and the the sort of matching reactions to those incidents from different sides of the aisle. And we'll be talking, I suspect, uh, briefly about the special congressional elections in both Georgia and South Carolina. That was a thing. That was a thing. So to begin, probably the... You know, the, the tensions uh, between the United States and North Korea are, at, at this point, of, are ratcheted up about as, as, about as high as they've been, at least in, in my lifetime, since the, uh, since the end of the, uh, the, the Korean War. Which never technically ended for us. Right, exactly. Since 1953, this is about as, as bad as it's gotten. I don't think any um, American has died in North Korean custody, at least in the last 40 years. Yeah. So for those of you who aren't uh, who aren't up on it, uh, <laughs> Otto Warmbier was a um, a uni- uh, University of uh, Virginia student who went to uh, travel to North Korea as part of a, a tour a group, Chinese tour group. Right. Uh, you know, just was there just to because he was yeah you know, it was like an adventure to go. Right. You well, know. He was a he was the lone white American in a Chinese tour group. Right. He was there to see the world. There was people... there was a British guy too, or an oh, Australian or something. He wasn't um, the only white guy. I know. There. But, uh, but in any case, he um. This he, is a thing he, I just he, want to specify that happens pretty regularly. Like Americans do go to North Korea sure. on incredibly controlled and regimented trips. It happens. Uh, with regularity, but what happened afterwards was not regular. Right. There's all sorts of Chinese uh, tour companies who you can arrange a, a tour of North Korea. And of course, if, if you're not familiar, North Korea, every you don't just go there and do your thing. Everything is very... You have to be part of an organized group, and you basically never are outside, away from your your minders. <laughs> so he, uh, he, he had apparently a, a, a good time there. He went there right um, for uh, New Year's. 2016 went there in late December and was uh, had a, apparently a fun time and which included seeing all sorts of monuments and at one point uh, having a, a mock snowball fight hmm. and uh, was at the air the Pyongyang airport getting ready to leave when um, a North Korean official came and tapped him on the shoulder just prior to boarding the plane and said come with me and that was the last time uh, his uh, his friends or any anyone outside of uh, the North Korean government yeah. saw him. So, well, yeah, until his trial. But uh, he was accused of uh, of stealing a propaganda poster, supposedly from a staff-only area of the uh, Pyongyang Hotel where he was staying. And uh, during his uh, show trial that the North Korean government put on, they showed um, what they uh, purported to be evidence of him stealing this poster, which I, I encourage anyone who's curious to go look at this uh this footage that the North Koreans showed. It's of a, a shadowy figure. <laughs> you can't, there's no, this person in the, in the, in the video. Is time stamped? You, yeah, it is time stamped, but I mean, like well, it wouldn't be, it'd be pretty darn easy to, to fake, <laughs> to fake a, a timestamp, but it's, it's just a, a shadow figure removing a, a poster from a wall and putting it on the ground. It's, it's, 
not very conclusive. And then, and they show a high resolution picture of the poster and the spot and the wall that it was on, but their video, but the video video doesn't show, have you seen the video? It doesn't show his face at all or anyone's it's, and it, basically, it's not clear at all that the person in the video is him. And I think to anyone who's really looking at the evidence objectively, it's it's pretty obvious that he didn't steal any posters. Right. But even if he had, you know, that's not the kind of thing that should get you 15 years hard labor. In a, right. So in, in, in an prison. American court, if someone were accused of stealing a poster in an American court and the only... Uh, petty theft. <laughs> right. First of all, petty theft. So... For a lot of people, that I mean, wouldn't we be don't much. even need to bother, com- you know, comparing. Uh, obviously, anything that uh, that has you know their official slogans or the image of their leader, they consider that like the most serious thing because you know they're a they're an autocratic fascist regime. But right. you know, of all the Americans who have gone there in the past, he's the first one to come home in a coma, yeah. essentially brain dead. And yeah, well, not essentially. He literally he was brain dead, and he died shortly later. We don't know the exact circumstances, but it, it sounds like they were just keeping him alive through a feeding tube and you know right. keeping his body warm, essentially. So, uh, knowing as much as we do of North Korean practices, it is reasonable to assume that he was tortured into a coma. He was tortured into brain death. Who knows? I mean, who knows? What the doctors say is that um, they think the cause of his of his brain injury was having the oxygen cut off. So at some point, he stopped breathing. That's that's <laughs> that's that's what Jesus. they surmise is that at some point he stopped breathing. We don't know how or what. They they the North Koreans offered some cockamamie story about him contracting botulism and then taking a sleeping pill. Right, and there's no there's no traces of botulism. Yeah, it doesn't make sense that someone's brain would basically turn to mush from botulism. It doesn't make any sense. Well, and even, the whole even thing if it doesn't did, make any sense. there's our doctors who checked him out are like, no, there's no way he had botulism. But here's the deal. I'll tell you what's been sticking in my craw about this particular case and the way it's, it's covered is... I mean, on its face, I, I think it's pretty obvious that, you know, the North Koreans, you know, treated him very poorly as they treat all their prisoners, whether they're, you know, yeah. I mean, frankly, <laughs> foreigners probably get treated a whole hell of a lot better than their own citizens who are subjected to conditions that I, I don't think it's an exaggeration at all to compare it to Nazi concentration camps under the under the Third Reich. They're. They're pretty much very similar. I mean, the way that people are essentially worked to death and barely fed and kept in complete squalor. Although God knows, God knows in a civilization where everyone has been raised to believe that Americans are like the worst things on the planet, Mm -hmm. uh, being the lone American in a North Korean forced labor camp, I have to believe that there was some... uh, who knows? S- some some bad Apparently, special Apparently, other, other Americans who have been held captive there um, have said that there's um, that they keep the foreigners in a, in a separate facility uh-huh. than they keep the, the North Koreans. Right. But uh, back to what I was saying. The thing that's really bothering me is the way a lot of Americans have reacted to this. Uh, and, and, it, and it runs, it, it's sort of like, yeah, but on both sides of the political spectrum, people who are both Democrats and Republicans, liberals and conservatives. Number one, there's sort of this assumption. I even heard our defense secretary, you know, James Mattis, infer that he was that 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 he was somehow even guilty of of stealing the poster. Like, I mean, their their line of argument is 
is like, well, it's kind of, you know, like 15 years hard labor. That's kind of excessive for, you know, petty theft. As if to give any credence at all to this bullshit North Korean story about him stealing a poster. Like, has anyone even looked at the evidence? I mean, what, at this point, he's he's out of there. I don't know why anyone would... Right. Why, why you would need to even give the appearance of, in, of that the North Korean story is anything but completely bogus and 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 they were and the only reason they held him at all was for the you know for political purposes right. to so they could engage in hostage diplomacy as they have in the past and so to even suggest that there was that they had any that this was warranted that there were, they, in that they had that they had any reason any any reason at all to hold him i think is is offensive and and just nonsensical why anyone would believe that in the first yeah, place, right? We know, and and the suge- we know that we can't trust what the, their government says. And the suggestion that his in in that his imprisonment was was some and his and his predicament was in any way his fault that he did anything wrong other than going there. That well, he should have known better. He should have known they're dangerous. Or my my favorite example is uh, citing a uh, uh, white privilege. Right. So this is one where uh, I saw an article in Reason magazine. That was about that was largely about quoting other people, and right. it quoted uh, it quoted Ebony magazine, it quoted Larry Wilmore, uh, a handful of other you know very left wing journalists yeah. who come from communities of color. Larry Wilmore sort of started the whole thing uh, over a year ago, right after he was sentenced um, in in March of, of last year. Larry Wilmore on his now defunct uh, nightly show. Uh, actually, uh, you know, made a remark, something I'm sort of paraphrasing to the effect of, well, you know, I guess, um, I guess, uh, a white, uh, frat boy didn't realize his white privilege wasn't going to fly in the, in the, in dystopian, you know, hellscape. Mm, yeah. I guess he found out the hard way, you know, very kind of snide and, and insensitive and just like yeah. ick Larry, ick. I just, well, and he, right. And <laughs> one of his comments, the one that stuck in my mind. Was he was reflecting on like what made him think he could go to North Korea and not have this happen to him? Exactly. And then he and then he followed up with, I guess white privilege is a hell of a drug. Right. Right. Uh, As if the North Koreans would have, you know, I mean, I don't know if they would have treated him worse if he were black or of some other ethnic persuasion. Yeah, they treat Dennis but his Rodman status as well. an American is what is what yeah. really. But yeah, I guess maybe as a as a as a white, you know, upper middle class American, he did think that he could go to other countries and not be, you know, framed for some nonsense crime and 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 essentially sentenced right, although, to death. Although, frankly, the people. I think the, that's something all of us Americans should expect when we go to other countries that we won't be, you know, imprisoned for no, without any justification. Well, the the people I know who and the people I know of who engage with with like tourism in communist countries tend to be people who are looking for an ex, who are looking for an excuse to to talk favorably about those countries. Interestingly, uh-huh. yeah. like people, people <laughs> love to talk about, you know, how excellent the healthcare is in Cuba, which incidentally it is not. Uh, 
Although they do have, they do have some good, you know, uh, yeah, they, they, I mean, they have a great show hospital that they show to every, that's a whole uh, nother, well, that's, 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 a whole that's other sort of a whole nother topic. Uh, um, like, uh, they actually are fairly, um, they, they actually have some pretty legit cancer research going on there, but, um, back to what we are <laughs> to the subject of North Korea, you know, they, I mean, they love Dennis Rodman over there. They do. He's certainly not white. He's more of a, that's more Chicago Bulls privilege. Because right. know, the Kim celebrity Kim, privilege. Kim apparently is a huge, huge fan of the the Chicago Bulls from the 1990s. So hanging out with Dennis Rodman is to him like. We also know that he <laughs> uses uh, that. We also know that he's a PC gamer mm-hmm. because Steam has published their hotspots. Uh-huh. You know the the digital video game distribution service for computers. They they've published like where their hotspots are in the planet, and there's one little light in Pyongyang. Okay. So before we go down to much of a rat hole, um, <laughs> the reaction people's reactions to you know some some sort of almost you know Schadenfreude where they're like, well he 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 should have known better, you know it's too bad, but he should have kn- he he basically you know it's the natural you know consequence. Right. There's something there's something about the white privilege argument that just that that always comes across as well he was asking for it which before we get into just how, how tremendously that awful that is i mean just how does that make you feel as a, personally as a, as a human being uh as a human being that's pretty terrible i mean i actually i thought you you said something very eloquent you know yesterday when you posted the the reason article on facebook i don't know if you'd like to reiterate that um uh, well, the the gist of it. I'm going to see if I can just find it because I would rather I, I thought, quote I myself than really try to well, restate you know, it. That you know, having well, you, know, you were talking about how uh, you know it's <laughs> human decency doesn't have well, anything me, to do with right, let gender. Me, or let me get let me get to this up, because think. because the two I'm re, I'm responding to two things here. Mm-hmm. The article that I posted was specifically about the the victim blaming of Otto Warmbier. But I also wanted to reflect on the congressional shooting a little bit. No one's dead from that. Mm-hmm. Um, and more particularly, the acquittal in the Philando Castile case. And here's what I said. Uh, I think the death of this student, the attack on members of Congress, and the acquittal of Philando Castile's murderer, all coming so close together should remind us of something. Humanity isn't political. It's not racial, it's not religious, and it's not gendered. There are always lessons to be learned from tragic events. There can always be teachable moments and times of pain. And it's never a bad time to look at oneself and really assess where you stand in society and if there's something you can do to lift yourself and others with you. However, our first response to a tragedy should not be to cram it into our pre-existing political ideologies, nor should it ever be to blame the victim for, quote, putting themselves in that situation, quote, which I do think is what people do to Castile. Uh, exactly. The first response should be to honestly lament the loss of a human being and to reach out with love and support to communities affected. I see a remarkable callousness from all sides when I see reactions to events like these, whether it's the cowardice of the NRA who refused to condemn the killing of a man who just happened to be exercising his Second Amendment rights while black, or the lack of empathy from some left-wing publications for a young man who died as a result of torture and imprisonment suffered far from home. It sickens me 
that the first response of so many is to ignore our shared humanity and instead to other the victim who has lived a different life than our own. Like I said, there are political implications from these events, which we do have to study and consider. And I have no problem with political movements born out of our shared grief over losses of life. But I do have a serious problem with those who would bend over backwards to justify these deaths or to mock them as some sort of cosmic comeuppance. Yes. We have, we have all been guilty of this at some point. But when we are, it should be a cause to reassess our own worldviews. That's, and I think that's very well put. I mean, when you talk about, I mean, cosmic come up, comeuppance, a.k.a. karma, you know, the right. idea that it's, well, it's the natural consequence. You know, it's not like we intended for anything bad to, or we're glad that he's dead. But yeah, it's like, whatever. He, he should have known better. We shouldn't be appalled and, and at, 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 at the awfulness of mm-hmm. the way this, this regime and their, mm. their complete disregard to for me, human rights. So, so right before we did we started recording uh lel made sure that i had seen the now released uh police footage i think everyone should see that (laughs) of the death of philando castile and i hadn't seen it and now i have and the moment that struck me as being the most sort of awful and ironic is when lel showed me afterwards after that whole thing so we watched all of it including the poor woman and her child in the in the police car he showed me the picture that they took at the station of the officer in question and zoomed in on his right wrist where you could see the police lives matter bracelet the like live strong style bracelet mm-hmm. with police lives matter written on it and i mean that's i know that i have supporters uh, political supporters and friends and what have you who do engage in the blue lives matter, police lives matter thing. And I, I understand the desire to want to say, well, cops matter too, but that's so missing the point. And in this case, it is like, here's the perfect example of how the police lives matter counter movement is just an attempt to excuse horrible behavior. Uh, well, in saying police, I mean, is there is there a do we have a big issue with cops being gunned down and the and the and the and the and the, and the perpetrators going unpunished? No, is that not like right a rampant now. thing, or do all the are all the police really running around with targets on their backs? That that has been true in select places. Mm. At different there, times, there but right now it's not the case. Right, <laughs> but to, do do cops? You know, every time they they go out, they leave their they, they go outside, or they, I don't know. Is, to, 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 the idea that it would, to, I mean, it's one thing to compare it to Black Lives Matter and say, well, yeah, okay, police lives do matter, but the whole point of Black Lives Matter is I've had to, I, I've always try to explain to people when they when they counter with all lives matter or whatever is the whole point of black lives matter is that all lives matter is that is that the whole idea behind the whole hashtag movement whatever is black lives matter just as much as anyone else as opposed to the 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 sense you get from all these shootings is that black lives don't matter as much as other lives and that's nope. 
definitely the uh, the case in this in the in the killing of, of Philando Castile. His life did not matter as as much as as, as, so, as someone else's life would have to this particular officer. Right. So my I do want to say my my hot take from that video. Uh, we talked about this a little bit earlier. Uh, I'm going to try to make this super brief for the people who just aren't going to understand. Uh, Go for it. I took a dumb internet quiz the other day about what a, what like Dungeons and Dragons like p- personality category I run in I fall into what my alignment is, uh, and that's you know sort of a two axis thing you know good neutral and evil lawful neutral and chaotic. And I was a little surprised to see that my answers to questions, my responses to particular scenarios, placed me as lawful neutral, someone who's inherently a rule follower, whether the end result is potentially good or bad. And, and it made me reflect on my own personality and my own life and the decisions I've made and, and how, how I approach complicated situations. And, you know, my instinct in any situation is always follow the fucking rules it's always follow the rules whether it's about going through an airport or you know driving or uh something like when i was fraternity president if something came up it was always let's look at the constitution let's see what that says let's see what the bylaws say let's follow the rules let's let's do what we're supposed to do for me working spending as much time as i have in summer camps and youth groups that has always been a tremendous help to me because when you follow the rules, you run into fewer potential problems. Uh, well, sure. I mean, yeah. So, <laughs> right. So here's what I'm getting at. So here's what I'm getting at. Um, my hot take from, from finally seeing this police video of what happened with Blando Castile is it is a police officer's job in a situation like that to diffuse the situation. If they feel like the situation cannot be diffused, then the first response should be a non-lethal takedown. Then, if that doesn't work, you threaten lethal force. But only after diffusing the situation has not worked and a non-lethal takedown attempt has not worked. If you watch the video, you know, this like 10 minute video in which six seconds are crucial, you can see that this police officer had no place being in a situation where he had control of the lives and deaths of others. Not at all. He was put in a situation where he should have diffused the situation as calmly and naturally as possible. The situation which was a a, a busted taillight. Right. Right. The situation was a busted taillight. Because there was, there uh, were, I, w- I would just want to make it really clear that there's absolutely nothing that Philando Castile did to escalate that situation. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, right. Philando Castile. Uh, first of all, Philando Castile did not have an obligation to defuse the situation. He was the person who was pulled over. It was not his job to keep the situation from becoming violent. It was simply his job to do what he was told. And it's not as if he suddenly got all uppity or something. No, he was no, he complying. Didn't. He was I mean, completely. He, was... he did. He did exactly the right things. He was compliant. He was respectful. <laughs> he did. You know, when people talk about police shootings and they try to victim blame, they always try to bring up examples of people not doing the right thing. Philando mm-hmm. Castile, his girlfriend, even the child 
throughout the whole situation, they all acted with tremendous level-headedness. They all did like exactly what you would hope a person would do in that scenario. The police officer lost his shit completely and killed someone. And his justification later was that he was, quote-unquote, starting to get hinky, was his words. <laughs> he just in, started, as in by reaching for his wallet, as he had been asked to do. Right. Uh, killing someone is, is a crime. Mm-hmm. Regardless of context, it requires a trial. And, and there was in this situation. He was uh, accused and accused of and prosecuted for manslaughter. And then the jury just let him off completely. And even though it seems to me that there's a preponderance of evidence that this police officer did absolutely the wrong thing. And I do honestly believe that when people have power in their hands... We should hold them more accountable, not less. Yeah. Like it, I said, it was not Philando Castile's job to somehow make this situation better in order to get out of it alive. It was the police officer's explicit job to, to resolve the situation in a non-violent, or at the very least, non-lethal way. And he utterly failed to do that. He did exactly the opposite of what anyone you know, who is really trained in crisis management mm-hmm. would have done. Uh, and it's a heinous crime. And, and yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, the reason that I bring this up in the same context as Otto Warmbier is that you get the same response from the other side. You get, he was asking for it, that he was getting hinky argument. The, well, maybe he should have done this or that differently situation. Like, like argument and it doesn't matter if you're left wing or right wing if if a person did or did not commit a crime here we have two situations where two separate situations where two very different people in very different situations uh ended up with the same result they ended up wrongfully dead at the hands of people who had greater power and authority than they did and our, like I said in that post, which I sort of intentionally tried to make vague because I didn't want to get too angry. Right. Um, was that it is, it is really, it is shameful. It is shameful for anyone, left wing, right wing, whatever, to jump to victim blaming. In that situation or any situation. I mean, isn't this what we have learned from conversations about rape culture I, is I, not to victim blame. I, I couldn't agree with you more, Ben. And I mean, t- to me, it also, it, it just underscores the, the phenomenon, particularly on social media of just dehumanizing anyone who isn't, you know, part of your, I don't know, clan or whatever. If you, I mean, I, I think, I mean, yes, I'm okay. As a, a cis, a cisgender white male, you know, and I, I look at this guy who's, you know, obviously we, you know, are of similar, you know, social and ethnic status. And I, I can I can look at him and see somebody who could be like a like a brother or a son or whatever. But I don't think that's 
that that's that's unique. I, I don't think that's should be the only way that we can relate to the to the suffering of people in North Korea is for them to kill an American. <laughs> you know, hmm. they're a human being is a human being. I mean, people there there's lots of people in North Korea who have sons and daughters and mothers and sisters and you know and people who who they, who they love very much who are being you know brutalized by this regime and and you know as bad as Otto Warmbier you know had it there's a lot of people who are basically living you know anim- animalistic like lives where they're literally scratching in the dirt well that's this is and th- this is the kind of you know shit that goes on there and and I, and I think I think we should care about all these people, regardless of whether or not they're they're your next door neighbors or yeah. or members of your family, you know. And well, and, to and, me, and it, and it isn't and it isn't just and I certainly don't want to imply that it's j- just people of color or people on the left who are you know expressing you know like lack of empathy for blase for, for, attitude yeah, towards for, for auto warm beer. It's, it's people on the left and on the right, you know, just, they have slightly different, you know, reasons or, you know, narratives for why they, well, I, right. Why, I why think, they think it's either kind of, you know, funny or, well, I know, think there's an assumption. Serious. I think there is an assumption from some people on the right that like an upper class college educated kid going on a tour to North Korea he must have been a socialist there, <laughs> right. there to like experience I, socialism. He's, he's from he's from suburban Cincinnati. I don't know. He doesn't. <laughs> I would not I be surprised. Know. I have no idea what his family's political persuasion is, but just statistically speaking, they're more likely than not to be conservatives. You know, but... it doesn't see. There's a, like, like there, in both of these cases, there are two separate conversations here. In the case of Philando Castile, it's a conversation about police accountability and police reform. And that is a long, complicated conversation that we need to have. And I applaud the Black Lives Matter movement Mm -hmm. for pushing us to have that conversation. Well, sure. I mean, but uh, in that same situation, both the, I mean, both about Castile and Warmbier, it said he should have respected their authority and and they would have turned out differently if he had. Well, and I would say that the conversation vis-a-vis Warmbier is is one there is a conversation we need to have about our relationship with North Korea and whether or not the house of Kim has outstayed its welcome on this (laughs) earth. Um, But both of those are separate from what should be our instinctive immediate response, which is, Oh my God, a father was killed. And Oh my God, a college student with a life ahead of him was killed. At the end of the day... By the state. In both cases. Yeah. Uh, at the end of the day, it it really doesn't matter what the context is or what the lessons are, at least for the moment, because the most important thing is for people to reach out to the family of Philando Castile, to the family of Otto Warmbier, and just say, we are so sorry for what has happened to you and your family. What can we do to help you? How can we express the, the degree to which we share our sorrow with you, our grief that, you know, uh, there's a, there's a, a Jewish saying that, uh, he, he who, 
saves a life. Uh, he who saves a life has saved the whole world. He who ends a life has ended the whole world. There's a, there's a focus there on the lives of individuals and how every individual life is valuable and important and contributes to our world in ways that we may never fully understand. We don't know what Philando Castile or Otto Warmbier, what, what the result of their continued lives might have been on this planet, uh, going into the next decade, going into the next century, the next millennium. The fact that they are no longer with us could, like, anyone who, anyone who, whose life is ended in a violent way like that could have uh, a catastrophic effect on the future of humanity. We don't know. <laughs> it's, it's always, it, we should always feel that, that a world unto itself has been ended now. And it's one that we can never get back. And that should always be our first response before we jump to uh, what needs to be done with police, which mm -hmm. is a lot. Or what needs and, to be done about North Korea. And what needs to be done about North <laughs> Korea, which may also be a lot. Um, which is a conversation I'm happy to have yeah, right yeah. now. Uh, I but, mean, before we get to, you know, uh, whether we should, you know, obliterate North Korea off the map, I, I would also <laughs> mention... That, um, uh, you know, against the backdrop of the not guilty verdict in the, in the case of the killing of, of Philando Castile, uh, there was a, just this past weekend on Sunday, uh, there was a, a shooting by the Seattle police of a, uh, of a, yes. a mother, a pregnant mother, a black woman in, uh, in Seattle by the name of, uh, her name is uh, Char Charlena Lyles was uh, was her name and she uh, she was a mother of four who uh, apparently had a had a history of uh, suffering from uh, metal some metal illness i don't know all the and details suffering of... on the hands of other people yeah so I, I don't know exactly you know how much that that had to do with it but apparently she called the police um to report a, a burglary in her own home and uh, when the police arrived she was holding a couple of knives and at some point they um they shot her and killed her and yep. uh, the and the and the in, in Seattle the 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 you know especially the, the black community is is very you know upset about this Understandably. and are calling for the um for the officers who who killed her to be charged with murder. So that's uh, <laughs> it's uh, they ought to be charged with something. Yeah, there's a you know problem with with this one is uh, we don't um i believe i think there's an audio recording but we don't the officers weren't wearing body cameras and it happened inside yeah. her home so we don't have um well right the officers video. weren't carrying body cameras and, and for no, some no reason dash cam or anything like that and for some reason they were not equipped with with uh, tasers they, with tasers yeah, they didn't have, they didn't have they're not apparently required to carry tasers many officers do carry tasers but um Apparently the Seattle police, right, the ones their, don't their, their, their policy is that they have an option as to what type of uh, non-lethal uh, weapons they uh, they wish to carry, be it tasers or um, or, uh, or or batons, you know, clubs, whatever, or uh, pepper, pepper spray. spray. 
pepper spray, I guess, is a little, you know, more compact, but I don't know. They, um, in, and in the audio recording, uh, the officers can be heard, you know, saying one to the other, you know, go ahead and taser. And I don't have a taser. Well, neither do I. And then moments later, they, she's shot. <laughs> moments later. So, and a, she's, she's moments not, later, a pregnant woman yeah, with preg- two knives. And was shot and killed by two armed police officers. And as many people pointed out, well, I she, guess had she no was very, very petite, hold her arms down. small woman. So, but yeah, the whole community is up in arms, and of course, we don't really know at this point how much of a threat she may or may not pose has posed to the officers. And I don't know that there is. I mean, it, the only people who were witness to the shooting were the police right we'll see god willing there will be a trial and information a trial prosecuting something and there will be information that will come out if if she posed a credible threat to them that's exactly the sort of thing that should come up in the context of a criminal trial so but you would think so but i think the odds are Based on what's happened in the past and based on what I know about the laws having to do with, you know, police use of force in, in the state of Washington, the odds that these officers will even be charged with any kind of crime, I think, is slim to none. And that's based on the way the, um, the, 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 way the laws are written. I mean, when we, um, it was 90, maybe almost 10 years ago now since the, uh, the Woodcarver shooting where, uh, there was another guy with a knife who was basically just walking down the street. So the wood, he was a guy, he had a, he was holding a log and like a, like a knife, the kind you use for, you know, carving stuff. He was a, a native American guy. And, um, the, this cop, you know, pulled him over cause he saw him just sort of stumbling down the street, you know, and the guy was a chronic inebriate, you know, was drunk, you know, carrying the knife. He gets out of the car and starts yelling at the guy to drop his knife. And when the guy doesn't immediately do it, he opens fire, you know, killing him ever since and and that officer was was after the inquest was never even charged with anything um and citing uh the the almost impossibly high bar legal bar that's you know that you have to clear in order to convict a a police officer in uh in killing someone basically you have to um prove in court that the officer acted essentially with malice and that they and that they had a, a criminal intent to, to kill this person unlawfully, which is almost impossible, you know? You know, in a larger conversation, we we have talked a number of times, I think both on this podcast and just in our lives, about uh, intent and effect. And in the law, there's often a hard distinction between an intent to do harm uh, and an resulting in harm and an intent not to do harm still resulting in harm but you know what when you do harm without intending to it's still a crime often it's a lower level crime Mm -hmm. you know it's manslaughter instead of murder well the the way the language is written when it comes to police you know uh use of force is um is you have to prove that they that they acted with um I don't, malice is the the other thing is uh, what's the term they use exactly with um, with malice and and as long as they uh, use quote unquote good faith if they if they uh, did it in good faith meaning they 
they they that the, the officer believed that they had a, a a just reason for for shooting them. You know, I so it has to do with what the officer is thinking. I right, which can never <laughs> which be proven. Is, it doesn't matter if they're correct or not. It has to do with what they believe. So unless the officer, unless you can prove that the officer basically killed the person out of spite. Right, if you have a picture of them twirling their snidely whiplash mustache. Yeah, like if they, like if you have some like like a like say some evidence that that they actually said beforehand. You know what? I hate that guy. I, mean, I know he's innocent, but I just want to kill. Him. <laughs> Let's bust in killer. I, I just feel like killing him because he's black or something like that. You know. Right. So it's, it's a, so it's it's pretty almost uh, impossibly high. So I mean, the focus really, if you want to do anything, you know, if there's any good that's going to come out of this, it's whether you know we're going to see any legislation. That makes it, you know, easier to prosecute police officers who who do this kind of thing. Because the way the law is written right now, I think the community is going to be really upset when, when almost certainly the officers aren't going to be charged with anything, let alone convicted of, of killing yeah. this, this poor lady. I like mean, do, I, do you think of any scenario under which they would be convicted under the current law? I mean, or even charged? Probably not. So unfortunately, I think I, I'm just. I hope it doesn't get too ugly around here. I hope I hope we find some way, you know, to to you know have some semblance of justice. You know, if we can if we can pass a law or or, or do something. But ugh, the, the 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 odds of these cops, you know, doing any kind of jail time, I think are slim to none. You know, I would like to give a shout out to a couple of camp directors who I've known and worked for, and I'll explain why in a second. That's one time at never mind. Uh, as to uh, Melissa Frey, the director of the URJ Coates Camp in Warwick, New York, and to David Berkman, the director of URJ Camp Kalsman in Arlington, Washington. And what I want to say is I, I spent more or less 10 years working at Jewish summer camps, principally under the two of them uh, at different points. And I learned a, a lot of really tremendous and important life lessons one of the biggest ones is that there is nothing more there is no responsibility greater nothing heavier nothing more important and nothing more sacred than someone entrusting you with the life of their child and it is vitally important that camp counselors youth group directors people like that that they have reasonable rules that they that are set for them and which they set for themselves to guide their actions, their relationships with those over whom they are responsible. And those rules exist always as a as a double as sort of a as cutting both ways. Um, one of the rules that is often is if you're if you're a young man, let's say you're a you're a dude in your uh, early 20s and you get a job as either a, uh, as either a camp counselor or like a youth group or like a high school age youth group advisor. Uh, never have uh, private conversations with kids out of the view of other people. Never. Um, it is most vital that if you were like, a hetero dude in your early 20s and you're responsible for like 17 year old hetero girls don't have private conversations with those girls out of the view of other people this is a rule 
that is mandated to protect both parties, right? This way, you are never put in the situation of being able to do anything potentially, you know, bad. Right. And on the other hand, you never put yourself in the situation of being able to be accused of doing those things because there's always, you know, visible, there's always someone who can corroborate that a thing did or did not happen. That's so important. Well, in this case, there were two officers present. So (laughs) rules, my point is that, my point is that rules, laws, they exist to protect both parties. Mm -hmm. Transparency, openness, transparency, visual and audio documentation is always a benefit to both parties. Well, the fact that we do not have body cams. Well, I was just going to say that brings up a whole thing about, you know, the body cams and why we don't, you know, and there was a very good column by Danny Westhead in the Seattle times. I I showed it to you right before where, you know, there, you know, what's the term for, you know, what happened to this issue? Seattleized. Yes. Where basically it, it, uh, we did a lot of talking about it, and we did a lot of studying, right, <laughs> and, but we never and all the did and all the stakeholders were consulted and got to throw in their two cents, but they haven't quite reached a right. agreement exactly well, the, how to implement it. Well, and it sounds it sounds like the problem is coming from both ends. That on the one hand, we have police unions who oppose body cams. We we can assume, I think, fairly. Because not having body cans gives the police officers more leverage well, to do what they want. Here's the thing: I, from I mean, it, from the position of the police, they well, I think part of what they object to is if you know if they're going to implement body cams, they shouldn't. You know, one of the one of the demands of some people in the uh, in the social justice community is that the the body cams can only they're they're basically suggesting that the body cams should only be used uh, to uh, to investigate police misconduct, <laughs> and that as opposed to exonerate police officers or, or show they didn't that you know or or to convict people of uh, of crimes. So it's basically telling the, the police, hey, we want, we want you to uh, implement this thing that, that only has a downside for you as a, as a police right. department. Uh, the only way these cameras that we're going to force you to use can be used at all in a, in a legal setting is basically to, uh, against the police. And the police yeah. are not allowed to use it as evidence to, to convict people in court. Yeah, which this, I think is kind of like, yeah, you really expect the police are going to want to do something that only is going to hurt them. This should cut both ways. Yes, absolutely. A hundred percent. This should cut both ways. All if, the body cams reveal is the truth of what happened. Exactly. And if, the truth is always what we're after. Right. If I a mean, police officer, if a police officer is accused of brutality or misconduct, they should be able to point to camera footage to either confirm or reject the accusation. If if we can capture footage that throws out cases against police officers, well, that's that's the, that's just the other side of a coin. But you have people who are actually I, I, I'm trying to think of specific uh, of specific names, but people who are associated with the, the social justice community, 
saying that um like if somebody the makes dreaded social like justice like warriors. if somebody um well i i don't like to use that term because <laughs> it, it's 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 been turned into a derogatory term and you know yeah i, I don't well, necessarily i, I personally voice. don't believe that you know social justice is a bad thing there are some people who i think you know go about it in in a way that's not especially constructive right, but, but let's a, yeah, leave okay. that let's leave, leave that, that for another aside, day leave that aside for just a moment the the suggestion that you know if somebody makes a spontaneous confession you know, to a police officer who's wearing a body camera, like, let's say the cop, you know, <laughs> like, let's say you, you kill somebody and, and the cop shows up and walks in the door and, and, and you spontaneously say, yes, I shot him, you know, or the cop said, what Ooh. happened? I killed so-and-so that that shouldn't, you know, that, or that, I mean, that's a very extreme example, but basically advocating that police body cameras should not be used as evidence in court to convict people other than police. That's what the Iraq. I mean, does that make any sense? Does that? No. <laughs> uh, I mean, no. if you if you think evidence is is prejudicial and shouldn't be excluded, you you can you can file a motion to suppress that evidence, and the judge will decide if if there's a good reason if right. if that evidence is 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 prejudicial. Right. There are systems within the there are systems within the court structure but to say that, that to 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 weed out evidence that is really not appropriate. Right. Uh, but in general, like this is, I think the beauty of body cams is that it's transparency for both sides. And I don't, some people are concerned about the privacy issue mm -hmm. and I feel that, I feel that concern. I think, I, I feel like there's a way to build around that, that, that the footage itself should only be held if it relates directly to a case and any minute of footage that is not easily identifiable as being directly related to a case should be deleted maybe at the end of the month. Right. Um, and then, well, and mean, then it should be gone. Archive it for, I mean, we don't need a, right, we shouldn't a, we archive a video of forever. everything that takes place in the Starbucks or the donut shop. Right, we should treat it. We should treat it like a, <laughs> should treat it like a Snapchat story. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, it exists for a period of time and then it's gone. And, if it's like most, I think it's safe to say that most of what police officers do in their day to day is not arrest people. So most body cam footage would end up being thrown out because it wouldn't be related to, to actual crimes. Uh, and that would help protect people's privacy. But any time that a crime is captured or a crime related situation, someone is arrested, that should be saved and filed away with any other documentation of that case. Okay. Well, let me read you the quote from one of the activists uh, who, um, uh, you know, basically is, you know, lobbying the city, uh, you know, to implement the body cams with the, under with these policies that are basically pro, you know, anti, <laughs> anti the police department. So activists with increasing influence at city hall also began questioning whether the cameras would counterintuitively grant police more power. Quote, this conversation about body cams is a complete and utter, utter farce, Marissa Johnson of Black Lives Matter told the Citizens Commission on Policing two years ago. Why do I need a home video of my abuse that's going to be filmed by my oppressor? Unquote. So, so that it can be proven. <laughs> yeah, so this is, um, I, I don't know exactly, you know, Marissa Johnson of Black Lives Matter. What, Whatever that means. Yeah, I, don't, I mean, the one thing about Black Lives Matter is, you know, as far as the organization 
that underlies the, the movement. It's all, it's, it, it, it varies in degree of how organized it is and whether somebody's well, like an official spokesperson. It's a lot like it's a lot like the Tea Party movement before it and the Occupy well, sure. movement before that. I mean, does somebody represent Black Lives Matter if they just happen to go to a city council meeting wearing a Black Lives Matter t-shirt? Or do you have to actually be a part right. of a, well, I think an it's actual... Well, to say that we don't know anything about this particular person. But that we both vehemently disagree with her statement. I, I, I'm not even sure where, where she's really coming from. Why do I need a home video? And I would think, to prove that the cop did what you said he did, to convict him if he actually we... did something illegal. So I will, I will say this. It's not, about... it's, not, it's not to show the grandkids, you know? Right. <laughs> it's like I, I will a, say a this about night. the current... This speaks to the current conversation about, you know, free speech, political correctness, whatever, in college campuses, in cities, wherever, um, that there's a general movement out there to allow people to shut out anything that they feel offends them, as opposed to pointing it out and engaging with it. Or, and, God forbid, having a nuanced opinion. So so what I think of when I think of the body cam thing is uh, an old tale that when, uh, when U.S. soldiers in World War II first encountered a concentration camp, word went up the line of what was going on. And Eisenhower, who was commanding, you know, Allied forces, mm-hmm. he personally went... And he saw what happened. And you know what his response was? What was it? Bring in the journalists right okay. now. He he made sure in that moment that there would be photo and video evidence. And he said afterwards, I know that within a decade, people are going to start talking <laughs> about it like it never happened. They're going to want to pretend that it never happened for all sorts of different reasons, yeah. well-intentioned or bad-intentioned. And I want to make sure that no one can get away with that. Well, here's the thing. These days, you know, everybody's got, you know, everybody whips out their cell phone at the first right. sign of anything at all going down. In fact, cops who don't have body cams will often just whip out their own cell phones and start and recording things. It's and so you have all these really, to me, very bizarre encounters where you have police and citizens, you know, aiming cameras at, at each, each other, other, which I suppose is preferable to weapons. But but still, it's, like I, you so, might. I mean, there's nothing wrong with having. I mean, cameras are so ubiquitous. The idea that it should even be controversial, right? And well, then we. But yeah, with Seattle, it's always about the process. Always about what are the rules and who are the stakeholders and how are we going to have you know a zillion well, different like, why, policies. Why, I think we can start equipping the cops with the body cams while yeah. we continue to hammer out these policies. Well, the the reason we know as much as we do about the Philando Castile case, the reason this came to light in the first place is because his girlfriend, sitting in the passenger seat, yep. as it was happening, pulled out her phone and started live streaming, which is one of the one of the best, most level-headed decisions I've seen someone make in a crisis situation. You know, Don- she knew exactly what she needed to do. She started documenting it live. Diamond Reynolds, my hat is off to you. I mean, what you went through, you know, with your with your four year old daughter, right there. I mean, I cannot even imagine how she even stayed calm. And I, and I don't know, you know, too much about her, her background, you know, what what kind of, you know, 
what kind of you know career she's in but i can just i can say one thing what the video you know t you know i think demonstrates for sure is she has a way uh she she's way better her temperament is much better suited to being a police officer right she'd be the officer that shot philando castile uh, i mean she is the one who who showed that level-headedness and yeah she kept and, her you know poise under under pressure she kept her shit together and she made sure that this was being documented so that people would know what happened. Yes. And that takes a tremendous amount of bravery in that situation where most people would be terrified. And when she w and when she did get upset, her four-year-old daughter, oh my God, uh. who was like, calm down, mommy, I'll, I'll take care of you. And, you know, the, the video from inside the, the police car where well, she was handcuffed, that that's the most heartbreaking. This, it is. This it's little girl who's like, she's 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 asking the cops to uncuff her and the little girl is, is saying, no, mommy. Don't I do, let I, them uncuff you. Yeah, I don't want you to get shot too. Yeah. Ugh. Ugh. It's just nauseating. Um, the fact that they had her handcuffed at all is pretty ridiculous. I mean, right. I will say. She was going to do. I will I mean, say this. If she had been white, she would have been, like, sitting outside the car in a blanket. Yeah, and then she would have probably gotten a trip to Burger King. Yeah. Anyways, uh, so anyway. changing the subject a little bit to uh, something that's even more depressing and dispiriting. And, <laughs> and, 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 you know, on the topic of death, destruction, and, and pessimism of the Democratic Party. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? Uh so last night, uh, the Democratic Party uh, lost yet again in another special election last for, night, a, the Democratic for, for Party a congressional seat. Jammed this, a tire iron into their own yes. wheel and collapsed. In, in, uh, in Georgia's uh, sixth congressional district, Karen Handel defeated uh, Karen Handel, the Republican, defeated John Ossoff, uh, the Democrat, in a special election to replace um, the seat previously held by Tom Price who uh, uh, joined the Trump administration mm. as the Secretary of Health and Human Services. And uh, this is a seat that's been held since 1979 by the Republican Party. Newt Gingrich's old seat. So very, very red kind of seat. But the right, Democrats... but it's been leaning bluer and bluer here's, over time. Here's the deal. Well, Trump only won it by one point. So whereas Price won it in 2016 by something like 20 points... But what it what it tells you is that it's a pretty Republican seat that it was kind of lukewarm on Trump. So the Democrats saw this as a huge opportunity, and it became the most. It is now to date the most expensive House race in a right. in, in history. Sixty-seven million was the last. Yeah, they just the Democrats just poured gazillions of, of well, like seventy sixty million dollars or something into this race. No, sixty-seven and, total. And they got and you know he the, the initial hopes were that he would clear the. 50% in the first round where there were multiple Republicans running and avoid a runoff and just be elected. But he fell a little short of that. He's got something like 46 points, something or other. And in the, the, in the, in the runoff where they really thought that he might have a good chance of squeaking by and winning, he got the exact same percent of the vote, even though turnout mm. was way up. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, meanwhile, so, so here's a race where the Democratic Party nationally, statewide and locally threw everything they had into this single congressional race to try to squeeze it by and prove that the, that the Democrats were, were going to come back fighting. And in the end, Karen Handel wins by a couple of percentage points. Meanwhile, no one's looking at South Carolina. Democrats aren't funneling millions of dollars into the South Carolina race, where, uh, which had been vacated by Mick Mulvaney, 
who's now Trump's uh, director of the Office of Management and Budget. Um, this is a seat that they had basically just pre-given up on. It was a red seat. It was going to be red. Whatever. No matter what. Let's not focus on it. And what happens? It ends up with almost the exact same percent. <laughs> the Democrat, like still the Republican wins, but by almost the exact same percent that Karen Handel won. Well, it just shows how the Democrats aren't really able to reach out, but more than just their traditional base. Well, if, right. If they, <laughs> had, if they had swapped which one they were throwing money into, it's mm-hmm. entirely possible that Karen Handel would have yeah. beat Ossoff by 20 or 30 points, <laughs> but had, that in South Carolina, they could have won the seat. If they had, you know, dumped a, uh, you know, seven figure, you know, amounts into South Carolina, it's, one thing I think Nate Silver said that if there's any one takeaway that the Democrats should take from all these special elections is to spread their money around. Yeah, <laughs> you know, you know put, put don't a focus mo- on one seat at a time. Yeah, put a moderate amount of money into all the competitive seats rather than say, okay, this is the one that we're going to, you know, make because well, the, mo- the, the Howard more, Dean pour, strategy well, they, instead they, of the uh, they Ron poured Manuel so strategy. much into this thing. Of course, they made it a national story. And they got, and of course, Trump had to throw in, you know, his two cents. And, and of course, now Trump is claiming this huge victory and, you know, a vindication, you know, moral victory for him. You know, I... Even though, you know, Trump wasn't even really... They didn't. The thing about Ossoff, he didn't really make Trump the issue in the uh, in the election. He's a very like moderate, centrally centrist, who <laughs> ish. Was, yeah, it's he. He I'm, was clearly supposed to come from the Clinton hyphen Obama well, yeah. wing of the party. It, it doesn't this help. Moderate technocrat. You know, let's let's do whatever is best, regardless of partisan whatever, which often means let's keep everything as vague as possible. Well, and we all know how much they love carpetbaggers from Hollywood and the South. Well, in this, I mean, to his credit, John Ossoff was raised in that congressional mm-hmm. district. Before the record, he doesn't live there. Uh-huh. He was running in that district because he was still registered to vote with at his parents' house. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in actuality, he's been living in downtown Atlanta. He says that he's planning on moving back to right. that congressional district well, maybe when his fiancée finishes medical school. Uh, but like, come on, man, how are you not going to be seen as a carpetbagger well, and, and when you don't live in the district? And Karen Handel is a very much, you know, establishment Republican who's very well known in that area. She's oh, yeah. run for uh, governor a couple yeah, of times yeah, so, and lost. So she I was mean, the, I think, attorney general she, of the state. See, she's the kind of candidate that the Democrats should have recruited. Yeah. Someone with some actual, you know, political cred, some accomplishments. Right, who has ties that are local, statewide, just and a national. Rich person, you know, who's yep. young and prettier. I mean, I mean, I guess Ossoff is young kind of and vacuous. Looking. He's not that good looking. I mean, he's, you know, you know, what is it that they say? You know that, uh, you know, <laughs> politics or Washington D.C. is like Hollywood for ugly people. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, people don't get it. You know, being good looking certainly doesn't hurt you in politics, well, I think, but it, it, it's not, it's certainly not a prerequisite. I think, I think I'm allowed to of... say this as a Jewish person. He looks Jewish. I think he is. Is he Jewish? John I, o- I mean, John Ossoff? Eh. I'm not, for, I don't I mean, know. I suppose I don't he know. might be, but I, I, I don't recall that really being an issue. He's got, 
it's always it's always an issue. But I haven't heard anyone. I'm just saying maybe facial you know, features. I'm just judging the facial features. The part you can't trust anti semites to tell you who's Jewish because everyone they don't like is Jewish. So that's true. <laughs> well, there's. I mean, that's actually working out. There's a new fun religion for white supremacists. Oh yeah, Odinism. Odinism. Although the Norwegians are very upset about this that it's been co-opted. Oh, I love it. I love that some some major white supremacist. Odinism leader, is a religion of peace. Okay. Some major white supremacist leader in the South was asked about his conversion to Odinism, the worship of Norse gods. Yeah, like, four. and he actually he actually <laughs> said, like, no one no one wants to worship a mongrelizing Jew like Jesus. Well, yeah, that's the thing. They they wow. find Christianity has got is is too Jewy for them. Yeah. <laughs> so. Like okay, that's they want something super white, you know? Yeah, <laughs> and violent. Yeah, that's it's amazing. basically their equivalent of radical Islam. Yep, right. Because uh, you can't. Because if you actually pay attention to Jesus's teachings, uh oh, mm-hmm, pacifist. Yeah. yeah. Uh, no, really, o- Odin. I mean, radical Odinism. Like, and apparently, I, I, there's been reports that that, uh, that the um, the guy who uh, who uh, who went on the shooting spree and. Um, in uh, in Oregon on the train, the shooter there that that guy was an Odinist. And that guy's got plenty of screws loose. But amongst other things, he was he had he was kind of into Odinism apparently. But because it, it's become this popular thing in, in white supremacist circle, I I can't wait to see how Disney slash Marvel addresses the fact oh, that boy. they brought no for real. <laughs> I love my I love my Marvel movies, and I think that Disney is actually a pretty good company these days. However, uh, I think it's a sad, weird irony that they have probably raised a lot of awareness about Norse mythology by pushing Thor as a character oh, into the forefront. On, ben. No, for real. I'm wondering really? how many of these people, like, how many people were thinking about Thor really? before 2010? Oh my goodness! Oh, come on. I mean, I know that's they like... wear little Mjolnirs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just. I I just uh I just want to see them address it, you know. Okay, as long as we're not going to start calling for censorship and absolutely not, <laughs> absolutely not. That's not what I'm saying. I am not calling for censorship. Yeah, I'm not, I, 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 I am not. I am not saying already. I'm also not saying okay. shame on you, Marvel. Okay, good. Because uh, I actually love the Thor character as a concept, in particular in the comics. Uh, what, what what time are we at, Chris? One oh five. Yes, we probably should wrap it up, but. So yeah, um, do you have any final thoughts or? I do on this race should we, thing. Should we destroy North Korea or or the police or? Reform the police. I'm sorry, not destroy. Reform the police. Yes. Um, reform the police in a lot of respects. Uh, vis-a-vis North Korea, I have some very, I have some very strong feelings can, about that. Can you make your closing monologue in less than a couple minutes? Uh, no, no, I can't. That's all. There's more to be said about the Democratic Party. I will say this. Okay, one okay. sentence thing. Really interesting article I saw today in Business Insider that was about the ways in which Elizabeth Warren is actually very crucially distinct from both Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders in ways that are interesting. And I want to keep reading about this particular perspective. The article argued that uh, Elizabeth Warren is neither 
a centrist technocrat, nor is she a so nor is she a democratic socialist. That she actually, uh, that what if you really look at what she stands for, she doesn't want to increase government, uh, yeah, in ways that Clinton or Bernie do. She just wants, uh, she wants the government's role in the free market to be one mm-hmm. of referee. I think that's interesting. I think we should engage with them more. I think that probably the DNC should start taking more right or wrong. I think the DNC should start taking more advice from Elizabeth Warren and less from their donors. Well, listeners, we'd like to thank you for listening to this edition of Precious Snowflakes. I I guess uh, Ben will privately tell me what he would like to do about North Korea and the police. And we will have more thoughts for you on, we'll on more those topics next future. week. Yes, or in the future. But uh, again, we would like to thank you. I'm Lelius Rose. And I'm Ben Phelps. And we are yours.